to Chase the Vision with Isaac Mashman, the show where I share my experiences and knowledge in business, life, and personal growth. And I also bring on amazing guests every single Friday that are going to talk about their experiences and knowledge and their perspective in respective fields. And today I have a really amazing guest. He is somebody who I've known personally for the past couple of years, and he is actually the head of audio for the Mashman Ventures team. But more importantly, he has a ton of amazing things going on himself, and he has an awesome story, and he's here to share in, I don't want to say in studio, in person, but via Zoom, until we get that awesome Zoom set up uh, or get that awesome podcast set up down the line, Tristan Roberts. Tristan, what's going on, brother? Dude, just about everything. How about you? Same thing. <laughs> uh, honestly, honestly, over the past 12 to 18 months, so much has been going on. And over the past three months, I'm just running in circles, like feeling, feeling loopy mm -hmm. with everything that's going on around me, but full of blessings nonetheless. So brother, I would love for you know the people listening on the other end to get an insight and get a glimpse glimpse into who are you? Where are you That's from? That's a good question. I'm from uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I'm an audio engineer. I've been, I mean, I'm practically the only person left in Nashville who was born and raised in Nashville. <laughs> um, I have people coming off the street like, oh my God, a native, like I'm an <laughs> Indian or something like that. <laughs> but man, um, yeah, I pretty much everything that I've had going on lately. Um, it's been related to audio. It's been related to audio. Yeah. It's uh, a blessing and a, and a curse at the same time. I've, I've actually gotten to a point where I have to start scheduling time out like three months in advance for people. Mm -hmm. um, my schedule is actually getting booked and I'm running into some problems. So like, <laughs> which is the best part that I've like best place I have been so far mm -hmm. so i'm in like a really good place but coming into this area to where i'm about to hit that traffic jam right. so but you no know, no that is honestly a very good thing and you know when i asked you that question you're like um i mean everything is is audio related because that's the truth man even in yes. private conversations off offline you know off recording off air the one thing that always comes up is audio and that's like the one thing that you've devoted your entire life to so growing up you were born and raised in nashville tennessee you, you have decided to stay there and part of the reason i guess i could say i know a little bit more insights because the funny thing is we started out as a client partner perspective right like i was the one who was helping you with your personal brand and then next thing you know you know next thing we know it evolves into a friendship and I know that being in Nashville definitely affected you, but why was that? And like, what were some of your earliest like influences to music? So when I first started out, um, like I was like 12, 13 ish in high school and being in Nashville had a really large, you know, really large influence. Mm -hmm. um, but I started out, and listening to let's say Lincoln Park, right? Mike Shinoda from Lincoln Park. Like their entire band is probably one of the largest influences that actually got me into music. Mm -hmm. um, I know I jumped off Nashville real quick, but that's like kind of like the main reason I said it. And it's like, man, I want to do that. Being in Nashville facilitated that in so many ways, and like it made everything seem possible. 
where in a lot of other places, like let's say I was out in the middle of Oklahoma somewhere, I don't think I would have even thought about that. Like, let me tell you, like my other option, like before I thought, you know, I'm going to be an audio engineer. I thought I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. That was really? my other, <laughs> that was my other thing. Granted, I was like 14 whenever I was coming up with this, but you know, as soon as I realized that this could be a thing, my parents came to me one day. I was, I was talking to them. I was like, man, I wish I could like do this as a career though. Like that is a mm -hmm. career. That's actually a career you could do. And I said, like, what? And they're like just hundred percent in thousand percent in, just ran and sprinted that direction. So <laughs> I've been going that way ever since and started recording people in high school and producing people in high school, which is funny. I was charging the same rate that I am now. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, and, and I want to give a, a little bit of credibility to you right now, guys, I wouldn't just invite any old audio engineer on, and I wouldn't bring just any audio engineer onto the Mash Adventures team, because audio is one of those things to where you could have a million different options, a million different audio engineers and producers and rappers and people who have a basic understanding of, of music and sound and, you know, whatever else. But this guy, Tristan, he not only went to college for this and for music, but to add a, an additional layer and sense of credibility, but to not by no means define who Tristan is as a man as a, and as a business owner is the audio engineer for a billboard charting artist, Jelly Roll. And I don't know how many of you possibly know who Jelly Roll is, but to put it in perspective, his album that came out in 2000, and I believe it was 2019, right? Um, yeah. Was it 2000? Okay, 2019, hit the billboard. I don't know what placement it got, but regardless, it charted, and that's not an easy feat. A couple million monthly listeners on Spotify, and a lot of that music and a lot of that sound can be attributed to Tristan's work in the studio. Now, he's not over here taking all the credit, but he's here taking credit for what he's done. And so, put, kind of put that into perspective, because you've not only been raised around music and you got into music in high school, but you've been able to tap in with something and somebody who is normally out of reach. And that's something that is in a highly competitive market, it's like going to LA and becoming an actor right off the jump for a movie studio, right? Like that just does not happen. And um, I, I want to have you talk about that a little bit down the road, but going and, and recording for your friends, recording for people at high school, what was the initial response and how was it you know, just starting out, man, just starting out, I had the utmost confidence that I was just the best, you know, early days being a kid confidence, you know, um, I had some pretty good responses from the artists that I worked with back then, obviously nowhere near what I am now in the skill level. Um, I, I was actually like, I read a bunch of books and watched a bunch of videos. And whenever I came in, I came across as this like really like tough as nails, like producer. Like I was mm. too, I was too forward within too, um, too forceful, I guess, like forcing them to do like 40 takes, you know, and that was not the way to do it at all. So I like, I made my mistakes in the beginning, early on in high school. And then by the time I got over to college, I was able to use that knowledge that I've like all those mistakes that I made and try to put those in the past so I could work towards actually being better at my craft and like get the rest of the mistakes out of the way, like the actual technical details. So you're more so a perfectionist starting out. Like you started out and you're like, this verse has to come across as like perfection. Like you stumble over one syllable or one simple enunciation. You make one extra breath. I'm going to tell you to re-record it. Was that like how anal you were back then? Even worse. 
because Ooh. whenever you know you have like six perfect takes you're like ah let's just do 10 more to make sure we get that you know it's like i figured you know all right so let me let me break this down just a little bit i wasn't wrong in what i was doing necessarily how i went about it was probably wrong they say later at night is the best time for an artist's vocal cords to do any like any sort of rapping or singing or whatever because they've been warmed up throughout the day. They've been using their voice all day long. They don't necessarily have to do vocal warmups, which you should always do. But if you have somebody do like 20, 30 takes in the morning, you kind of get into that worn down, broken up stage, which is how Twist and Shout was recorded. It was like the very last song of the very last part of the album like his voice was dead whenever they recorded that which is why it's so unique um i was trying to just do this whole perfect thing and just force them to get into this zone of their vocal and the artist did not like that at all because <laughs> you're forcing them to be there for like six hours to do one song for something that could have been done in probably an hour do you think that made the music better though like you might have pushed the artist and probably piss some people off to be honest like they probably got a little frustrated come on man like i'm just trying to get get in get out of the studio and get back to my life but do you think that that maybe pushed them to a high degree because we think about it man outside of music and outside of this let's talk business let's talk basketball mm -hmm. let's talk sports tim grover who's regarded as you know the best coach of all time he i believe coached michael jordan kobe bryant and he would push them to their breaking point and that developed that mentality and so a lot of artists they, they lack that mentality of actually being able to succeed in the music business because they treat it so much of a hobby and not really go in as a business. So you were actually being more of like a, a mentor coach producer. You weren't just being an audio you know, producer or an engineer for them. You were like taking it to an entirely different level. And so do you still incorporate some of that? Like when you're working with Jelly, maybe you're doing takes or when you're, when you're working with artists that come into the studio to record? Absolutely, absolutely. Now it's more on an educated level because there are better ways to get those takes and to get those vocals where you need them. And that's where, you know, you don't need the 30 takes. You can get it in three. And Jelly, for example, that man is fantastic whenever he goes up to record. And he could nail it in one take. I don't I don't let him go that far. He often does nail it in one take, but you gotta get two, three, four, five, six takes, you know, just to have that like what if this one syllable here sounds better than this other one like there's perfection but then there's well what if i want this emotion in it mm. or what if this or what if there's something i didn't hear mm -hmm. what if i missed something so there's that always that extra take on top of that for my mistakes that could possibly you know you can't hear everything there's a thousand things going on a thousand knobs to push um there's other people in the room a lot of the times that you have to like throw throw it like get up get out of my face you know <laughs> mm. A lot, a lot of management, a lot of like management and also seeing the vision before seeing the final product in your mind without actually having the final product done and, and finished. Now, when you're working with, you know, you mentioned a minute ago that whenever you're working with an artist, it's always recommended that they warm up their vocal cords. And now I've been in the music industry a little bit. I'm not like I was never neck deep into the industry, but I dabbled into it because I was that six kid or that sixth grader right back in middle school blasting Rick Ross, listening to Lil Wayne in computer class, typing up some code, being a complete nerd. Like I, that's who I was back then. And uh, I mean, that is who I am today. Like I still listen to them. I was listening to them before the interview to get warmed up. But a lot of rappers that I've seen, especially in the studio, they don't warm up. 
especially people who might just be starting out, is that really important for somebody to do? Because a lot of the audience and a lot of the people who listen also are really into into music or even podcasting, right? Do you think podcasters should maybe warm up before they actually jump into an interview just to get that extra spice? Really? Absolutely. Yes. In, in a totally different way than how, like, let's say an opera singer would do it. Right. So I couldn't tell you the exact things you should do, but there are certain things like, let's say you should probably be aware if you're thirsty or not. <laughs> like if, are you, are you hydrated first? If not fix that because you're going to have all those lip smacking noises. You're going to be like, oh, you know, you're going to have all these issues. Um, on top of that if you're getting warmed up you're mentally preparing yourself for something mm. you're able to articulate better you're able to control your voice a little bit better um and even even myself i did not warm up for like anything i just like got home put the groceries together sort of charging everything and we messed up a few times but now that we're rolling i'm kind of you know we're, we're kind of getting into the group of things um but like you, your mental awareness is a part of the warm up as well. So for a podcaster, I might go through and like work on some sort of articulations for, for speaking or maybe listen back to my voice and see like, oh man, am I being really monotone? And, you know, and just kind of like do my checks, maybe do some like, do some vowel checking or like, how are you enunciating things? And for rappers, there are a lot of different things you can actually do. And I fully recommend it. Some guys, they'll come in, drink a beer and smoke or whatever, because they're like, oh, I like my voice to be grungy, you know? And True Nashville talk. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine, you know? Every, to each their own, I'm, I'm not even going to get into that. <laughs> that's a totally different conversation. But whenever you're coming in, there's like, again, there's the articulations. There are exercises that can help you rap faster. Um, one of my favorites is like you can actually stick a pin like into your mouth like across your across your lips right and stick it back in there and try to articulate things and because it's blocking your tongue from doing anything it's almost like parachute running like if you're running with a parachute it's slowing you down so once you take it out you're faster you're hitting every articulation really quick really yeah i'm gonna make you go try this later just just to prove you, you just do it for a minute let's go wrap a song like Isaac like Mashman on a track. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and then take the pen out and then try to do it. And you'll be doing it faster, clearer, and better. And it sounds and looks stupid when you're doing it. And it's hard to get, it's the same thing as vocal warmups. Like people don't like to do vocal warmups in front of other people. They'll go into a closet or they'll go into another room. And then that's when they'll do their stuff. And I think rappers could do the same and it would improve their craft and it's instant improvement. Like, if you do the articulation sort of warm ups, you're immediately going to be better. Something that I do when it comes to recording a podcast, and we, this is actually the second take. We did a take, we got a minute in, and I stumbled over the intro, and then you stumbled over your words. And so we were like, we're, we're, we're going to restart this because we didn't do a warm up, And that happens on occasion, and, and especially when it comes to videos. Like movies aren't filmed in a matter of a day. F movies are filmed over the course of months or even years, but it only takes two hours or three hours to watch a movie. And it's the same thing with a craft or same thing with a podcast. And if I could give one word of advice, you touched on it earlier and you said energy, right? Having the right energy behind your voice and, and your tonality because mo monotonous sounds are the worst thing you could ever do. And this is something I used to, to struggle with when it comes to podcasting. Now, I've always had a natural ability to display emotion but I haven't always had the natural ability to let it flow and really get my point across 
just like what I did there. And I, I put emphasis on different words, right? And, and that comes and develops with time. But a lot of mentors that we study say, raise your vibration, raise your energy, raise all this stuff. And, and the, the real meaning gets lost in all this guru language and fluff and, and, you know, oh, this sounds good. So let's repeat it. But it truly is pertaining to energy and how you feel, right? Your emotion is the equivalent of energy. And so that's the same thing to where if you have a, a rapper, I imagine, and I would love maybe if you have an example of this, um, somebody who comes into the studio and something just happened. They're, they're super pissed off. They're super fired up. They're like, I bet the next time they get into the booth, that song is probably going to be the most aggressive song, but also one of the best songs that they could possibly record because they're letting their emotion get in, right? Yeah, that's actually some of the tricks that they teach us, taught us in college. Um, part of it is like, you can actually use that to your advantage as well as get the, we're supposed to persuade those emotions. If there is a sad song, how can we get them to portray that? Like, how can we get that singer to be sad? As, as terrible as that sounds, you know? Um, but then there's like love songs and things like that. Well, do they have a significant other? You could have them like secretly get them to do something for that person that day. And then like have them write them a letter, seal it up. And whenever they're going up to cut that verse, you let them read that letter right beforehand mm. and let them do that, right? So there are different things you could do to persuade that. And, you know, the same things. Like if somebody comes in angry and they want to cut a verse, that is the time. You can actually go in and make people angry to go and do things. And that is something that I'm not sure I'm going to do. <laughs> I don't want them mad at me. But there are ways to get them mad. And one of them is to make them do takes over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there, well, there, there are actually techniques that... I don't know the specific names. I don't know what they exactly include. I, I want to do some more research into this because it's a fantastic field of study and like really understanding this. And you sit down with a person and you have them go through their emotions. And um, I, I did this. I was watching the show Billions. It was a, a show on, I believe, Showtime or whatever. And I, I, I've been catching up on the show. I had a recommendation. And in one of the episodes, the performance coach, whatever, sits down with the main character and is like, I want you to think about the time that made you the most furious you've ever been. And she goes through the step and step, step by step process. And I did this with a client actually the other day. I'm like, okay, just off of what I've seen in this show, I know exactly what I need to do. And I went down, I went with this client and he's like over here in a low energy. He's being quiet. He's being soft spoken. And, and I'm like, let's call him Jeremy. Let's say, let's say this client's name is Jeremy just to, you know, protect his, his privacy. But I'm like, Jeremy, I want you to think about what pissed you off growing up. All these people saying you can't do this in business. And dude, I tell you not, he latched onto this energy and he was like, he completely shifted his mentality. I'm like, so are you going to continue being a little wuss or are you actually going to tap into the other side and actually get results? And then the next call that we had, it was entirely different because now he's over here getting focused on what he wants rather than what everybody else wants. And those different energetical, emotional exercises truly, truly do add up. So being in the music industry, you're not in an industry that is like, one, going to make you a lot of money super quick, unless you're an artist. And you're also not in an industry that is easy to get and break through. And you're not in an industry that is necessarily the clean, cleanest. And that can be up for interpretation, rather the things and the lifestyles that the artists have, or cleanliness could also be in just the, the industry tactics, right? The music industry is known to be extremely unethical by a lot of people in the form of contracts, 360 deals, um, which I'm not really a fan of. And, and all these, we could go in and talk about PR, we could talk about all this, but let's just say that you and I are both in industries that aren't the most ethical 
because other people gave us a bad, bad rep, gave the industry a bad rep. What have you done to make sure that your practices are legit? What have you done to really display yourself as a professional and do this the right way versus just taking the quick, let's get in, get out, cash grab? So there are quite a few things. I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to truly touch on everything that I'm doing. Um, one is being completely and utterly honest with mm. every artist that I work with. Um, and I often ask artists if they have signed up for the right, right organizations and if they're collecting all their money because 90% of them are uneducated. I mean, 90% is just a random statistic that I threw out there, but quite a few artists have no idea that they're missing out on probably actually more than 50%. And that's, that's not even me saying probably they are missing out on more than 50% of their cash of their cash flow. And that money just goes poof right up in the air and nobody's collecting it. And there are free places you can go to sign up and I will send them a list of places to go sign up and I'll walk through it, whatever else. I mean, that's, that's just like, I try to provide these sort of things to get mm -hmm. them straight. I don't charge anything for it. That's, I feel like that's one of my things to help set the music industry right is to educate people. Um, and it's kind of like the thing with copyright law and like getting people straight on like, what do they need in order to be, you know, not screwed over by the next guy. Right. Um, and just not being the guy that screws over basically. They're, I mean, if, and in the end, it's more of me like giving without expectation of mm -hmm. anything in return. It's sort of, um, what am I looking for here? Um, Making sure they have what they need to succeed at, at the end of the day. Yeah, pretty much. You're, you're enabling them. And this is the same thing with Mash and Ventures and what I got going on. You know, I'm not here doing the personal brand for you. I'm not building it for you. I'm, I'm helping you build it yourself. So you're enabled, right? We're, we're enabling them in all the best ways. You know, no, normally if you're enabling someone, it's in a negative sense. But in the sense that we are doing it, it's, it's in a really positive. And now, this is a, a topic that comes up a lot when I'm talking to people about trademarking and copywriting and business and music. They have, you know, they, music is a business, but at the end of the day, the art, you know, the, the technical technicalities of what makes music music, what makes a song a song, what makes a cover art a cover art, and then what's a trademark and a copyright for a business versus a song are entirely different. But obviously this isn't legal advice. You're not over here telling everybody the, the firm laws and reading it off of a, a law book. But when it comes to making a song, I remember reading somewhere that as soon as you create a song that is original, it's automatically copyrighted. Is that true? So, yes. So if you have an idea that's not copyrightable until it is in a tangible medium of expression, meaning if you write it down, if you write it on a napkin, that is immediately copyrightable. You are entitled to that. Now, the difference is whether or not you are physically copywriting that item. And it does cost money to do that. And it's done through the Library of Congress. Just simple enough. You go straight to their website, fill it out. Easy. Um, I mean, for music, it's easy. But there are a thousand different copyrights you can file. There are two. If you're recording a song, there's the song that you actually wrote, like the lyrics and like the under under underlying composition and then there is the actual recording the sound recording has its mm. own separate copyright so the you masters. have to file both of those yep the masters okay okay so 
how okay so what do you recommend that whenever an artist is doing an album and let's say it's an it's a 10 song uh album or piece of work or ep that they're they're releasing should they go and invest that extra money maybe that they would normally put towards rollout towards copywriting i am 50 50 on it obviously yes you should do it but if you're sitting on like ten dollars like <laughs> i the this day and age it's a little less of a requirement and i say that because if you were going to write a song and it's going to make a million dollars obviously copyright it but mm -hmm. you do have the proof you probably have the proof that you wrote this song at this date or whatever because you put it on soundcloud and there's your date stamp right there you have the proof however you cannot legally sue unless you file that copyright got it but what you can do is you can file your copyright and then backdate it mm -hmm. so you don't have to do it right away oh, and interesting so you can go into it later on and go back and copyright everything and it's basically just your proof that i mean i could go and copyright a song that you put out and i don't you know whatever we would have to dispute it in court you know <laughs> but um you can backdate it mm. Mm. Now, this is a piece of information. This is something I didn't ask when I was on the, the interview and I, when I was interviewing him. But my first interview back into doing episodes for Chase the Vision was a friend of mine, Noble. And I think I've actually made the introduction between y'all once before. And he's out of Bakersfield, California. He's one of the most talented artists I know. He's in the process of um, recording and releasing his, his next project. And um, he did a song on an EP called A Short But True Story back in 2019. It was beautiful and man, it's a, it's honestly a timeless, timeless EP. And one of the beats that he used, he it wasn't exclusive. He didn't get anything signed, but he released it. He had the rights to publish it with his song. And then fast forward a year and a half later, Tory Lanez on one of his projects released a song that had the same beat. And I'm listening to this project, and this is before Tory Lanez beef and all this other stuff that happened with Megan. And I'm not taking sides with that. You know what I'm talking about? But I'm listening to this. And I'm like, I've I've heard this. I've, I've heard this before, right? I'm like, this is for, and I'm, I, I texted Noble. I'm like, dude, what is this? <laughs> I'm like, what is this? And um, so, in a situation like that, can you talk about exclusive beats when it comes to maybe you know the rights and what goes into that? Because that all these technical terms, artists don't really understand until they've been in the game for long enough, or they have the right mentor, the right manager. Um, the right person who can really tell them. And, and what are some of these technical terms that they should be looking out for? And if some somebody presents a deal, what should they not sign? There are a lot of things. And the first thing I'm going to say is everything is a gray area because that's just how the law works. Um, but it really depends on what your agreement says. Um, exclusive usually means that you are like, let's say, let's say I made a beat and I'm selling an exclusive license to this it's an exclusive license i'm exclusively licensing this beat to them nobody else can have it um which usually means the transfer of a copyright which mm -hmm. these days i don't even know that people are doing that uh they may still be holding it and just giving them exclusive rights to certain things it depends on the, what the agreement says really mm -hmm. um what i can tell you is the non-exclusive ones mean you do not own it you have a right to use it and mm -hmm. that is something that they need to be aware of because if you have any non-exclusive um agreements that you sign for beats you are probably only going to have it for like 
let's use some arbitrary numbers, like let's say 2000 radio airplay streams, uh, 20,000 streams on YouTube or a thousand downloads, or, you know, it's going to have a limited set of terms and a limited set of time. So like it might be for two years, but that's what you get for $20 versus 500 or a thousand where and you're buying and owning versus basically renting renting is yeah right. that's the best example i think is renting so after that period ends would you need to go back through and relicense that through the beat maker or would you maybe or would there be terminologies and obviously every contract contract is different i don't, I don't want to get too technical to where we lose people guys if you're listening if you're ever in the music industry or having people who are friends then make sure you're referring to referring them this episode because I knew that this would happen. I knew that we would get into some of the technicalities because that's just how we roll on private conversations. And so would you recommend that somebody maybe relicense that song or would that be a royalty split maybe to where, you know, after that certain period, that person now is going to be getting 50% royalties that that term was previously not in the contract? So you could always go and relicense it. It you know, again, it depends on what your contract says. A lot of contracts might be on an auto renew sort of thing, like um, like an optional, like extended for another year or whatever. Um, it could be like if it's not terminated, then it'll continue for another however long. You know, I don't mm. I don't know what the agreements are and what they say in them. Um, again, you know, all the gray areas in the world and so right. many different things. Um, because the number one thing is is making sure somebody doesn't let themselves get screwed over. And I've seen this man in the music industry more, P, the, the public relations industry and the music industry, the two industries that I've seen more people get screwed over in. And maybe this is because I've been in these industries, but I also observe a lot. When I was listening to Rick Ross in the sixth grade, I was also going to hot new hip hop every single day and literally updating it. And like refreshing the page, saying what news broke and understanding, man, paying attention to Little Wayne and the Birdman cash money beef about releasing the Carter five. And the day that he released the Carter five, I'm like, thank God he's free. But I was paying attention to how he was screwed over out of his money and he wasn't able to release his work. And that's if, if, if you're listening to this, like, I want to make sure that you're not in that situation because that is like a horrible place because you're this artist, you're this creative and this creator and you can't do what you actually are wanting to do. And so one other aspect, and this is the last question that's extremely technical, but I want to get your insight and, and to have you break it down and explain it. And it's something that isn't as prominent today as it was 20, 30 years ago, mechanical royalties, because they're different than normal royalties. What are they? So mechanical royalties are basically paid off of your sound recording, right? So off the top of my head, it's been a minute since I've studied up on them just because it hasn't been something that I've had to personally deal with. Um, I don't get paid off of those. I don't, I don't quite do much of that, but there are several places that you can sign up to collect those. And that's one of those things that I always send to artists because these are one of those things that if you're not signed up for this specific place on the specific website, you are not collecting your mechanical royalties. Hmm. And they are right now, I think it's 0 0.01 0.091 cents or something of the sort is the statutory rate for um, mechanical royalties. So there's licensing that comes along that, like mechanical licenses, um, which would say like, oh, well, for every single that sells, I get my nine cents. Um, got a gnat in here. 
been fl- flying around in my face the, the past like 30 minutes. But <laughs> So what mechanical royalties also be, because 20 years ago, you go into the store when, when your favorite artist drops a song or drops an album, you buy the CD, you buy the track, you buy the vinyl, you buy the eight track, you buy the cassette. Like we're taking it way back, but hip hop man flourished off of eight tracks and cassette tapes and CDs and all the stuff. People on the corners, you know, hustling CDs, people still do that. Would that that would be considered a mechanical royalty? But now we're talking about um, somebody buying a single in Apple Store or iTunes. Would that also be considered a mechanical royalty? I believe for the actual sale, like the digital sale, it is. Mm-hmm. You still get that mechanical royalty from it. Um, what you don't get it from is actual like streaming, like Spotify. So what would those be called? Just traditional royalties? Like what is just, there like a term or just payment? So. <laughs> It is a type of royalty. It is, um, it's a it's a type of streaming royalty, is what it is. But it's there are two different types of like. Mm, yeah, I'm gonna have to rain check on that one. You know, this okay. a lot of this stuff is things that I don't normally deal with, honestly. Like, um, yeah. so, um, but definitely something to collect on. And I'm gonna name drop a couple places just because a lot of these places are free. And okay. like I'm not sponsored by any of these places. Like, go collect your money, please, artists. Sound Exchange, sign up for that. Song Trust, sign up for that. Um, they may take a percentage. I don't know, but I know one thing for sure is if you're not signed up for you know those places, along with your PRO, you know their performance royalties, you need to collect. And that would be like ASCAP, BMI. So. All these places they collect different things sound exchange collects from i believe i want to say it's like youtube or sync mm-hmm. your from your sync licenses so if anything gets played on youtube if you're not signed up for these organizations you're not collecting the money now if you're not signed up for song trust you're probably not collecting mechanicals mm-hmm. if so, you're mm-hmm. not signed up for pros if you somebody performs your song at a show even if it's you if you perform it at a show you are entitled to royalties for that hmm. performance royalties so basically just covering every single aspect of your business because this is a business pretty much like and getting making sure that you're getting paid what you need to be getting paid there is like a list of like 40 items i think to which you can go and sign up for all these different places to make sure that you're collecting all your streams of income because your song does not produce just the streaming royalty it produces the streaming royalty, sync royalties, like all of these like nine different royalties. I mean, that's an arbitrary number, but there are like 40 places you can go through and sign up for. And all you have to do is Google, straight up Google, what all do I need to sign up for whenever I release my song? And you right. will find a list of 40 items that you can go through. And like none of those links are trying to like scam you. <laughs> like you're not spending money. Um, some places will say, that they will collect certain things for a certain fee or for a certain percentage. And one of them is song trust and they will, they will collect worldwide, which is something to listen to because not all places will collect worldwide. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk distribution because there has been a decrease in the barrier to entry over the past decade when it comes to getting your music out there on Spotify, on Apple podcast or Apple music on, um, you know, Amazon music, all these major platforms. And a lot of the artists that are here to make that transition from SoundCloud to an actual artist who's like on multiple platforms and is distributed, 
there's like this big question of, okay, do I go through DistroKid? Do I go through TuneCore? Do I go through X, Y, and Z service? What are, what's like the number one recommendation? Let's say somebody comes into the studio and they're like, okay, I'm ready to drop my first single. You're the one who's being the audio engineer for them. What do you recommend I go through? What would you point so, them towards? Any of those places you just named, but they all charge differently. And that's where I, you know, I would pull up the websites and say, well, how do you, you know, it, it really depends. So if you have a larger fan base, personally, I would go with either DistroKid or TuneCore. If you do not, you might want to play, pay a fat, flat fee or like give away a percentage. So like CD Baby, they'll take your mechanical license or mechanical royalty. They'll take nine cents out of every sale, right? Mm. And a certain amount of streams equals a sale is basically what they do that off of. So yes, you do collect those from that. I just remembered. <laughs> but so TuneCore, you pay monthly for like, I want to say it's like 30 bucks a month for a song to stay up there. If you don't pay that 30 bucks, your song disappears. Mm. If you pay 25 bucks on CD Baby, your song will stay up there forever, but they take nine cents uh, of your statutory rate from your mechanical licenses. DistroKid, you pay yearly, it's another subscription service, but they also have add-ons and things like that, like um, YouTube collection, they have, you know, I want my song to stay up permanently. They have like add-ons kind of like you can upsell mm -hmm. your song. Um, so it's really just pricing it out and seeing what makes sense for you. If you have a million monthly listeners, I mean, at that point, you're probably going to want to work with a different label um, just for the customer support side of it, because TuneCore, DistroKid, and like all these other places are not going to have the level of customer support that one RPM has or um, like any larger label. Right now, like Kanye West, for example, his, I believe it was Life of Pablo, um, when he released that back in 2017, 2018, he didn't upload it until I think like an hour before it was supposed to be up. But because he's a larger name and because he has those connections, he was able to call up and be like, hey, I need this out right now. And then they managed to make it happen. Now, starting out, you're not going to have those level of connections, but know that you're able to eventually scale up and get to where you have those people in your back pocket that you're able to call upon. I personally, I'm not an artist, but what I did do is I put out you know music and pieces of tidbits from the podcast and things like that and the the podcast theme shout out to mitchell hines aka hindsight who's also part of the mash adventures team as the lead audio producer tristan roberts head of audio mitchell hines lead audio producer two entirely different things to similarly amazing people i'm trying to i'm trying to think of descriptions here <laughs> what, what can i do um but no i i personally went through DistroKid, and I, I the one thing i like about that is i'm not big on giving away percentages I really hate percentages, like especially for equity. And it's not that I'm not, uh, I'm okay for giving away percentages to the right people for the right reasons. But when it comes to a random stranger for a distribution service, like I didn't want to do that. Same thing as having a private investor that you don't even know. Um, and so I, I like DistroKid because it's like 36 bucks for, for Musician Plus or whatever it is. And you can, you can upload music for two different artists you keep 100% of your royalties. And now, yes, there are upcharges, but it's like, if you're only paying 50 bucks, let's say every single single to get every single upcharge, the protection and everything else, I think that it's definitely a worthwhile investment. So let's talk career, man. What has been the funniest studio, per, like the studio session that you've ever been in? Or maybe not the funniest, but the, your favorite one, right? Because every single session I imagine is probably a little bit different. And I bet, I bet there's a couple off the top of your head that have been like, man, like I wish I could go back and, and relive this session because something magical happened. 
man, I cannot pinpoint off the top of my head one session. Other, There's actually one session I can think of that the song has not released, so I'm not going to really dive into that. But um, it was shortly after my mom passed away and, mm. and the artist in there, their father passed away. And the other artist in there as well, their father also passed away. So this song that came out of that, the emotion flowing in the room was just insane and it was just such a cool experience to be a part of and like that i don't want to live that over again but no <laughs> that was it was just like one of these times that you're sitting there and you're like this is right everything about this is right mm -hmm. and i uh, i think you know that's what's beautiful about music and and about working with these people is that you share these connections through these songs and you you like can see that these whenever people will sing these back off for of the stage, right? Whenever you're on stage or I'm not on stage, but whenever somebody's on stage and it, you have these thousands of people singing the back, it's crazy to think that you can like have this connection through a song, just three minutes, hmm. three minutes of your soul, you know? If that song ever comes out, are you going to promote it? Oh, dude. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Do you think it will ever come out? Now, obviously don't, don't disclose the artist. No but, idea. Um, no idea. Okay. That's kind no of one idea. of those moments where you're like, hands off after the craft is done, after the deed's done. You're like, man, when is this happening? Like, that's one of the worst things when it comes to artists, man. You, especially being behind the scenes, because you've heard all this stuff and you're like, man, I love this. Like, I want it to be out. And then an artist is like, no, nah, I'm not going to drop it. And you're like, man, what the hell? Like, has that happened? Dude, I have worked on probably 60 songs this year and like maybe three of them have come out so far. Like, that. <laughs> it's pretty frustrating because I'm like, Oh, let me update my credits from two years ago. So like people can hear what I've actually worked on, but like, I have the files. I'm just not going to send them something that's not released yet. I'm not leaking. Absolutely. I'm not going to be the person. <laughs> yeah. So it, I mean, it can be a little frustrating there. It does happen. And sometimes things don't get released. You know, if there's two artists involved and then, you know, something happens where they don't agree, that song can be shelved for life, you know, label issues. Yeah, right. that's, that's a problem too, which we didn't talk about those 365 deals. Mm. We can well, talk let's about, talk about that. Let's, let's talk so, about those a little bit. Maybe not go super deep into record labels, but maybe talk about some of the surface deals that happens because I, this is the other thing. Universal Music Group is not the top dog. That's not the top record label. And people think that UMG is the number one or Sony Music is the number one. UMG is owned by a French company called Vivendi. And, and you ask somebody, do you know about umg they're going to say yes you ask somebody about vivendi they're like who's that who's the ceo of vivendi i don't know right and so we could definitely talk about that because it's like all these other corporations and business and pr it's owned by another person who's owned by another person who's owned by a parent group to where it's like you have this one french dude who's 80 years old or 60 years old who doesn't give a rat's ass about music who's over here making the decisions letting you or telling you who's in charge so let's talk about record labels this is going to be a good see, conversation see I'm not going to immediately trash on record labels, but <laughs> 90 year old dude at the top of the chain, given the yes and no to music is probably not a great idea since, you know, you typically think of it, oh man, old people are never in touch with music. You know, I don't want to say that either, but um, I will say as far as like record label deals go, um, you got to be careful when signing those, you got to be careful whenever you're even thinking about it because if you have no following one why do you need a record label mm -hmm. um what like what are they going to do for you 
And then you have to see, okay, well, what, what artists are they putting their attention into? Are they putting it into Taylor Swift? Well, they're probably not going to give you the team that's working with her. Let's be honest. Um, which is part of the problem. People sign record labels, sign to record labels. They go in, um, they record the album that they gave them a hundred thousand dollar advance. They spend 90,000 on it for the recording or whatever, right? That's all recoupable. That word recoupable means that any money that comes off of that album, you do not collect because it goes straight back into that. It's like you borrowed money from them. That's what that advance was, mm -hmm. a borrowing. Not that you have to pay it back. You don't have to pay it back. It's non-refundable. But you don't collect any money off of that, so that's paid up. And record labels, I'm, I'm jumping around a little bit on this, but they can be a little shady and they can, you know, they can give you these limo rides and give you these certain things and add it to your add it to your debt you know so they can there's like a story of a dude that like bought a chain this twenty thousand dollar chain gave it to him and added it to the list man and man. it was just like it's one of those things but then you get into like there are albums that get shelved because they decide oh, you know we don't really like the album we're not gonna put our money behind it it's too much risk so like shelve it and then they say well you're locked into this record deal for another five years. Um, you can't release any music. Mm. You can't release that music either because we own it. Um, and they own everything. They own everything in your life. They, in the 365 deals, 365 means they own everything. It means everything out of merch, everything, literally everything in your life. If it's not specifically noted out of it, like any of sort of money you make. I mean, from your image, they own your image, they own everything. So, I mean, stay away from those if possible. But realistically, if you have no fan base, you have no leverage. So you're going to end up with that if you try that. That's leeway into another fantastic topic. And the, uh, the majority of artists, you don't make money off of your streams until you're talking millions, millions and millions of listeners, because otherwise you're going to be getting pennies on the dollar. And even if you make $1,000 off of your music every year, $1,000 isn't shit. It's not going to do, it's not going to go too far. $1,000 can't even cover some car payments, especially if you're trying to get into the music and keep up your own image. But when it comes to 360 deals too, and this is another issue, that's part of the reason why I never, I, I had the idea of excess records, right? EXX excess records and man you remember it back in those days because we were still connected and i was working with the artist diggy dirk and we're talking and i'm thinking to myself i'm like there's no way for an artist to win and a label to win there's like very it's it's like a 25 year play and i'm not here for it yeah and so that's part of the reason why i got out of it and didn't pursue it because i'm like i'm not going to do this in a way to where i'm screwing somebody over and stealing the likeness of their image and when it comes to an artist i've been talking to some people behind the scenes that i'm not going to disclose but you know he's telling me he's like they're offering me all this money it's like i already got money i got my own money whether that's be from the streets or that they have their own business or something like that they're making their own cash and they're like they're offering me all this money but i gotta pay them back that record labels it's like you're taking out a big loan and yeah the hundred thousand dollar advance is great but then you do a label or you do an album underneath that label you're not going to see any of that money and if that album flops and you only pay back sixty thousand through your album streams and royalties and sales and merch and all that other stuff that's going to go into your next album as well to where you're not making money off of that album and you're not making money off of the second album because you're still paying back debt and that hole gets deeper and deeper and deeper so by the time you're at the end of your contract you actually owe them money or you have to extend it because you're completely fucked over let's touch on that real quick real quick so 
on these contracts, these 365 deals, they often have an optional term for another album or another two albums or something like that. And they will probably exercise it. So if your album flops, they'll say, okay, well, you got to do another album for us until that's paid off. And then you mm-hmm. got to do another album. Then you got to do another album. And they'll make you keep writing songs until you pay that debt off. So, I mean, it's a, it's an issue. It's a real issue. I mean, I personally feel like you don't have to sign with labels anymore just because distribution was a thing that they had. Now they don't. You can distribute it yourself. Um, the marketing, if you can figure out how to do it, that's, I mean, that's probably the hardest part and what I would go to a regular label for. PR, that's probably something I'd go to them for too. But mm-hmm. nowadays, I mean, it's building a team rather than using their team is what I would do or outsourcing to certain places like a PR company, for example. Now let's, let's jump into some PR talk though, because what you're touching on really is personal branding, branding yourself as an artist, branding yourself as a public figure, not just as an artist either, because this is an issue that business owners have. They only talk about their business and what they do and not for who they are. And artists normally only talk about the music, but they don't talk about where they grew up, their backstory outside mm-hmm. of the music, being on podcasts and showing how they are behind a microphone in a studio setup that isn't behind a mic in the booth. And it's like, you have to show that other side of you because that's how your fan base grows and connects, but don't jump with just it. Honestly, don't pay for PR. And this is uh, like ironic coming from somebody who owns a PR firm, but don't pay for PR because what traditional PR firms will do is they will charge you for paid placements and all of these bootleg websites and bootleg places and all this other shit. And what you're going to be doing is buying your way into these features, not being number one, not showing up at the top of the articles and your credibility can actually be harmed by being on these low ranking sites. And that's the irony, man. All these people on Instagram saying, pay me $200. I'll get you featured in Influensive and Thrive and Disrupt Global. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those sites. I've actually been featured in two and I didn't pay for either of those placements. Right. And so by being placed in some of those places, sometimes people can read through it. People can see through it and they can tell that you're trying to buy your way into fame and success. And so that's why you need to really build your fan base and take the time to do your research, get verified Mm -hmm. on genius. How do I get my music out on genius? Can I get verified there? Can I reach out to famous birthdays or genius.com for, you know, inside the lyrics or publish your song in hot new hip hop. They have a feature where you pay maybe 20 bucks and you're able to publish your album through hot new hip hop or XXL or any of these other magazines. And by doing the work yourself and by paying attention to the numbers, you're able to eliminate all of the percentages going out the door. And that's what Russ did. Russ did it himself. Yep. And I know that as much as the <laughs> baby recently said some shit that was a little rough, I'm not going to lie. And I'm, I'm not signing with him, but if you listen to some of his interviews and I, what I will give credit to the baby for is his work ethic coming up. Now, what he did when the fame and the money got to his head, that's another story. But prior to hitting that mark, he would go, and literally have his name and t- and his face on t-shirts. He'd go to the clubs, he'd pay, p- post up stickers on every single telephone pool uh, in Charlotte, right? And he would go and every single person would know him. And then from there, it spread from Charlotte to all these other places. Russ would target the markets and specifically go to where his numbers were the highest. And that's per- how important is personal branding to you from an in- engineer's perspective and not from somebody who's in the business of PR? So probably the biggest thing for me i'm not gonna lie the um the biggest part for me to work with people is not just the actual work i do it's me as a is a person um 
people come and record with me, not because, you know, everything sounds great, but it's like, I make them feel good and I make them sound good because they're in here and they're feeling good. And, you know, it's a good vibe. And a lot of that is how does somebody know who you are? How does somebody know from a distance? Like, let's say they're in another state or somewhere else, or if, if they've never met me, how do they know who I am? Mm-hmm. And how do you portray that? How do you get that authenticity out? Right. Right. Now, what would be some of your tips for somebody just starting out who wants to really make a name for himself as a musician? What should they have one audio engineer that they go to? Because we're we're, you're marketed as the go to audio engineer. You're the one who makes music sound top tier. Would you recommend people go and find one person that they can work with long term or bounce from engineer to engineer? And should one album? This is another thing. Should one album be mixed and mastered by the same person or different people? All right. So you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot to unpack <laughs> there. Yes to that last question. The album should be mixed and mastered by the same dude. If you're able to do that. Now, I'm, I'm seeing things where people are releasing like a string of singles, like five singles, and then they all throw it in one album. And that's really new. And that's something that I actually might recommend doing is just releasing a bunch of singles and then adding it to another three song collection and piling it into an album. Something you can do now. Um, as far as picking an engineer goes, if you're not vibing and you're not making good music with the current engineer, you feel like the quality is not there, but you can afford to do better, do better. Hop mm-hmm. around, find other engineers. Now, if you have somebody that you know and you want to work with them and they're continuing their path and they're continuing to grow get better, you should absolutely find those people, find your team and grow with them. I feel like that's the biggest thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't like to market other engineers, but if you have people in your area and they, you can work with them, you can work with them for the rest of your life. Chances are you're going to get better. They are going to get better. And everybody's going to grow together and learn each other so well that like, it just pops off. Like you're, you're not going to have any issues. You're going to learn. And the learning curve you might have going to any other engineers, the workflow, the vibe, you know, you don't know that dude. Um, and it's a very personal thing to come in and record a song for a lot of people. So it's one of those things where like, if you're not feeling it, if the dude's, you know, making you angry or if this, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of things that play with that. Um, remind me again of your other questions though. That you pretty much answered all of them. So you, okay, you hit yeah, the nail on the head with all this. Yeah. The other one, I, uh, to be honest, I completely forgot too. So <laughs> I was so, so focused on, on listening to what you were saying now for, we live in a fantastic time. You and I have never met personally, yet you're a part of my company. You've helped me on my podcast plenty of times where some of these episodes where they would have sounded horrible. Like there's one, I think it was leadership. It might've been episode like 19 or something. And it was me walking and how, God, it was horrible. Before I sent it to you, you, you fixed it up. We live in a time to where you don't have to be in person. Now, obviously, if you were to record in studio, you need to be in person. But are you open to working with somebody? If, if I have a music musician or even a podcaster who's like, I need somebody to make sure that my audio sounds good if I sent them raw files. Is that something that you're open to doing and how can people work with you? Oh, absolutely. Um, nowadays, like a lot of studio work is done remotely. Like mm-hmm. you'll have the drums recorded at one studio, you'll have the vocals recorded at another studio, you'll have whatever. And then all the files will get sent to a mix engineer and prepped up, put together, and it all makes this one cohesive song. Um, one thing, you did say that people have to be in the studio for things. If they have their own studio, 
there are ways now that you can remotely stream to where I could like produce their session or hit record for them and things like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, cool. yeah, it's crazy. Wow. So Man. I'm not necessarily set up for that because I haven't come across something that's Neat. needed that. For the right. very moment it needs it, I'm going to set it up and get it done. Um, but, you know, with FaceTime and everything else, you could always produce a session and tell them what's going on with it. And now with the high res streaming with audio, I could sit here and listen and hear everything that they're doing. So, yeah, I mean, you can work from anywhere now. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, Tristan, brother, it has been a really, really phenomenal conversation covering a lot of in-depth stuff that's like extremely technical. And I, I enjoy that kind of conversation. Now, where can people find you? Where can people follow you? And how can people work with you? Man, at Tristan T. Roberts or Google Tristan T. Roberts at T-R-I-S-T-A-N because people like to misspell that. <laughs> no, it's Tristan with an and I, not Tristan right. with a Y. There we go. There we go. Well, brother, <laughs> hey, man, I'm excited to see what you continue doing with not only Jelly Roll, but also other artists and, and with your own personal brands. You know, guys, if, if you're listening to this and you want to work with Tristan, go to him. If you're sitting on the edge and you're like, I don't know about this guy versus all these other guys, he's going to make your stuff sound top tier, even if you might sound a little whack. I'm, I'm going to be honest. He's going to make you sound better than you might actually be. Uh, just no comment no comment but anyways man <laughs> brother thank you for coming on and i'm glad that we were able to jam this session out and, and you know provide some real value to people hey man thanks for having me 100 well guys you just got done listening to another episode of chase the vision with isaac mashman with tristan t roberts the audio engineer out of nashville tennessee um you know go ahead and make sure you follow him drop a like drop a comment on this as well hit that subscribe button if you're viewing this from youtube and without further ado, be on the lookout for monologues every single Monday and interviews with awesome people like Tristan every single Friday. Much love.